Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. How are you going? My name is Cam Smith. The show you are listening to is called Eat It Across From Me. She's back from the beach house. Oh, Renee, how did you leave that esky? <laughs> Seems like, um... I know an age. <laughs> a little bit late When we were on night. the beach and the breeze was going through. It was summer. It was hot times. <laughs> it was indeed. We've got a great show for you today. We've got um, we've got some serious stuff. As I pull up my running sheet, there. Where are you, running sheet? There he is. Um, Danny Valant will be joining us at the beginning of the show. Danny Valant, of course, fantastic writer. We will be celebrating the fact that it is Women's Day, International Women's Day on Monday. Hurrah for that! Um, we're also going to be talking about JobKeeper and a few shenanigans that are happening with wages uh, around the place. So a bit of yin and yang there. Uh, Matt McConnell is going to be our chef going to the market. He's actually in Sydney. Lucky guy, taking it easy. You know, chef's day off is what they call it, Renee. Got to have that, huh? You certainly do. All work and no play. (laughs) You know how they talk about that. So we're going to get his perspective as to these fabulous seasons because we are in autumn. Did you notice it coming in that the leaves are starting to go? Well, I, I don't think they've had time to sort of wither down. I just think it was like a shock. I've got this giant fig tree in my back garden. And Black it, or white, um, white figs? Well, I haven't seen a fig. There's like three <laughs> dwarfed figs on it so. and it just keeps growing bigger leaves. But the fruit hasn't had time to, you know... Suck the sun in. Oh, this this tree doesn't give a fig. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> no way. And that probably brings us nicely to our third uh, little thing that we're going to be doing. Uh, going to be having a chat to Matt from Melbourne Rooftop Honey. Maybe Vanessa might join in. But these are the guys that have made a career of bringing bees back to the CBD and putting hives on top of roofs. And seeing, well, what does Fitzroy honey taste like? Well, it's got a little bit of peppermint in it. Have you tasted it, Cam? But yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough. We, I've known them for quite a few footy seasons now, and they've come in and you know, every now and then they'll bring little test tubes and they'll have a little postcode on it oh. as to um, – and, and all these, um, all these uh, areas, these microflora areas give different characteristics, but – the point is the fact that we're living through, uh, through a La Nina event in uh, climate. And uh, with that has become more rainfall, which we've all noticed. With that has become lower temperatures, which we've all noticed. Some rejoice, some are gnashing of their teeth. Uh, but the fact is that because of that, we see less nectar. So the honey things are down. And actually, Matt was saying that in one of the few times that the urban honey uh, yields have been higher than the ones in the city. So anyway, we're going to have a chat to them. So, okay. Hey, Kim, sorry. Yeah. One, one question. Please. I wonder if the quality of the honey has changed 
with the lockdown and with not as many cars and planes and things in the air, you know, with clearer air quality over mm. the past sort of eight months, mm. I wonder if that impacts on rooftop city honey. Mm. I wonder if it is. Can you remember that question? We can put that to Matt when we speak. Sure. That'll be one of those questions. <laughs> cool. I might ask that sort of thing. Um, all right. I, there was a couple of things I wanted to get into before we go to Danny, which we will be doing pretty quickly because we've got a fair bit to uh, to get through. One was I wanted to quickly talk about something that's happening at the Nova Cinema, the glorious place in Carlton, bastion of... Uh, of refinement and learning. It's a beautiful little precinct there, isn't it, when you think about it? Look, it is. And I, I guess I'm thinking of the cinemas and mm. there's so many cinemas there and they are quite small, but that's actually a really good thing. It's sort of limited numbers and, uh, yeah, but it's, across it's the all road, back on now. You've got readings, oh, you know. You can get a lovely Italian soup if you need. Yeah, yeah, there's great food around there. I was down there and I saw this incredible movie, which I recommend to you all. It's called The Truffle Hunters. And basically, uh, it is the story of these crazy guys, these crazy old men and their dogs as they wander around this steep, steep countryside around Alba for this, for this tuba, tuba magnatum pica, or the white truffle. And these guys are way eccentric and driven to go into the forests, these, these spirits of the night almost that operate pretty much individually. They are all individuals. And this portrays their story so beautifully in the fact that the framing is just glorious. Like the opening shot, opening shot is big frame, a hill, forests, trees, leaves. And in the bottom left-hand corner into view comes this man scrabbling up this hillside and then these two dogs enter and you just see them move through their landscape, precarious landscape, as you dig and scratch around. It's a beautiful story. Uh, it's quite poetic and the cinematography, oh, my God, the framing, the, the grading of of this because they go from what looks like probably they're shooting it on red cameras and then it goes to like a GoPro, but the grading looks exactly the same. So, so it's a documentary or a, a cinema piece. Like it, <clears throat> it sounds very cinematic, but are it's, these real characters? Or these are. This is just a, a documentary in the fact that it documents these people's lives with no narration, but it lets them tell their stories and their eccentricity. Like one of them loves to play the drums for instance. Another one is in the bathtub with his dog washing it and telling it that, hey, I'm getting old and I'm going to have to find you a wild woman. <laughs> and a wild woman, they're not easy to find, but she can take care of her. I will give her the house and when I go, you can be stay. So, you know, this great love and affection for these animals. Um, some of them, um, of course, get poisoned. Because a truffle dog is one of the most uh, valuable things you can have when you think about it. 
Anyway, I'm not going to give too much more about it. That it is on at Zinova. Did I have the actual dates up? I thought I had them up here somewhere. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the Truffle Hunter, it's on today, 7th of March, until the 10th of March. So you've got until Wednesday uh, to go and see that. But I certainly do recommend uh, you go and see it because, let's face it, you get a king and god friend, get something to eat or a bowl of pasta at Doc or the university if you're old school. Which one would you go for, Renee? I go to, is it called Tiamo that I get a Tiamo? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get like a soupy thing. It's nice and cheap and a glass of red. Hey, in a Duralex glass. And it's the very and, nice. you, and you get the bread on the side, which <laughs> keeps you alive. That yes. used to be uh, <laughs> that used to be our uh, the way we did a lot of the times in uh, the, student days. And the I way remember. we still do <laughs> as mature age students. Yes, that is true. <laughs> um, so, oh, and in huge news, twelve ten, and we will move on very very quickly. I'm talking about um, uh, tuber magnatum pica, aka the white truffle. It's different to the black truffle tuber melanosporum, in the fact that. Um, the black truffle we see here in Australia, so you know when you go to McDonald's and you get the truffled burger, that's the black truffle. Well, actually it's not. It's just a molecule. But um, it's re- regarded in that way. And in the early 90s, um, Australians planted trees that were inoculated with the spores of tuber melanosporum. Up until now, it has been impossible to cultivate a white truffle. It just was a thing that happened in the ground in certain places, and you had to know where they were. But in a dramatic thing that has happened in Europe, which will no doubt enrage all Italians, the French... Yeah, those bloody French. The French. Have actually worked out how, and they have been successful in inoculating trees. I'm assuming it's an oak, um, and they have been able to find the spores were still present, and I think they have actually harvested white truffles on three different farms. So this is a huge ground changer. Um, personally, I've never tried a white truffle. I've had lots of black truffles. Apparently they're supposed to be magnificent. Who knows, maybe one day I will get to do that. Mm, well, they might be commercial. You might be able to buy a tin of them or something in the future. I guess they need really old oak trees, though, don't they? Nope. No? No, you Young? need to. Uh, when, you, when you first inoculate the tree, it has to be on a sapling and huh? then let it grow and then hopefully... Um, I'm not sure that you can actually do it that way that you, you speak of. One more thing before we move on to Danny Vallant, and you are listening to Eat It on 3 RFM. Did I mention how good it is to have you here? Thank you for joining us. Uh, John at the market. We've been speaking to him for many, many years. We will not be speaking to him today because, well, he's actually got a buy, but we have to acknowledge a um, sad event that has happened in the fact that Joe... John's dad has unfortunately passed away and we would like to say from the Triple R family to send commiserations to all the family and no doubt we'll have a chat to John next week about uh, the life and times of Joe, one of the originals from the Queen Victoria market. Eat It is the name of the show on 3 Triple R FM. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. As is always a delight to speak to you. On the end of the phone, we have Danny Valant. Danny, a very, very good morning to you, or afternoon, I should say. Hi. That's just snuck over into afternoon, hasn't it? That's because it's eat it time. Hi, Cam. Yeah. Always good to chat. It's in that witching hour of the between the morning and the afternoon. How have we found you? Now, where are you? I'm. Oh, I'm just at home. Oh, you're just um, at home. Because you, you, yeah. You rang, I rang yesterday, and you'd gone to extraordinary lengths for uh, for breakfast. You went to Mont Albert, I think you said. Yeah, I'll travel for food. I'll travel anywhere. Well, that's I decided true. the river over any bridge and oh. along any freeway. But if there's the promise of something tasty um, at the other end of the road, I'm there. Over hill and dale and I'm there. What was in Mont Albert, just out of curiosity? What was this place you went to? Uh, it's called Via Porto, and I was recommended it by Mark Calabro, who's the owner of Hungry Hungry, one of the um, like platforms that became so important to so many restaurants during COVID. Ah. And uh, he just said, yeah, quality food, and I thought, I'll check it out. I've got, um, yeah, got a bit of time on my Saturday morning, and it was actually really good. Um, I had for breakfast a falafel plate, and I'm, a, I'm pretty obsessed with hummus at any time of day, but I think my next food like dive is going to be into hummus for breakfast because um i did a workshop with afik gal from miznon at mount zero last weekend and it was so much fun like someone enjoyed it so much that they actually wept and anyone that weeps for hummus is definitely in my food family they're my kind of people yeah but they were telling me um about this uh and his wife um inbal were telling me about a, a hummus soup, that a spicy hummus soup um, that is eaten for breakfast in oh. Israel, and oh, you know this is this is pushing all my buttons because I think spicy breakfast yes. is the path to a happy day. Valid, and yes. Any anything to do with hummus is exciting. Um, so yeah, uh, where was I going? Yeah, that's right. So when I saw falafel as an option for breakfast and it included hummus, I was just all about it. That's right. Yeah, you're speaking my name. All right, well, that's um, uh, a good reason to go to the leafy enclaves of uh, Mont Albert. We need to recognise and celebrate an uh, event that will be happening tomorrow. It's International Women's Day. Hey. I know, I know, it's so good and I think I'm going to be pretending that the public holiday we've got is for International Women's Day um, mm. even though technically it's not but yeah, I think it's I think it's great I think obviously women and you know, issues around sexual assault and mm-hmm. uh, discrimination are so much in the news at the moment um, I feel like there's never been there's never a bad day to celebrate women but I think there is so much uh if there was right, never a time where it is, oh, yeah. I, I was going to say more poignant or timely. There you go. That's my little um, little help. But please go on. I agree. Oh, look, I just think you know, there's a, there's just a lot of people feeling really angry and traumatized, and you know, the events in, in Canberra have brought up so much stuff for so many women. Um, and yeah, like 
you know, we need to, we need some major change in this in this country. But at, at the same time, there are so many amazing women doing incredible things. Yes. And uh, yeah, what about so that speech at the press club? My God. Yeah, Grace Payne, Australian of the Year, is an incredible woman. And a lot um, of a lot of people have said that that is the most incredible, inspiring speech they have seen in forty five years of attending those speeches. And it really? is one of the wow. few times where the person who has been the Australian of the Year has received an, a standing ovation. If you haven't well heard deserved. it, I would recommend everybody to listen to that speech because it is so inspiring. Yeah, no, she's incredible. Um, and, you know, in a hospitality context, I had an article in yesterday, an article in yesterday's age, and it's on the Good Food website. If you Google the women who saved restaurants, you'll be able to find it. And just um, shone a light on some women who have done incredible work for the restaurant industry in Melbourne over the past year, and they're, they're not always in the limelight. So it was a real privilege to shine a light on some women who have just been doing incredible things. This is a great article that you have written. You posted Thanks. pretty late, 10.43pm. Uh, anyway, that's, when, that's, that's when it came through. But um, the important thing is that, yeah, through this time, you have um, singled out some people who uh, have been absolutely exemplary and inspirational in the way that they have handled this stress and these crises. And I was wondering if maybe you might want to highlight or just put a spotlight on a couple of them. Yeah, uh, I'd love to. Sure. Uh, well, someone who I saw up pretty close during um, 2020 was Kylie Stadden <laughs> from <laughs> yes. Africa. Yeah. Um, she's the restaurant manager and Ben Shuri's partner. And she was, we, you know, we worked together on the Attica Soup project and Kylie was absolutely instrumental in that. She was also, um, in, she set up the Attica delivery mechanism and, you know, managed that whole process. Which she was, was the you know, nuts and bolts person, wasn't she, in such a big way? Yeah, she she definitely is, and she also had so much energy through um, all you know the long months of lockdown. I think she was a really inspiring person to the Attica team, um, and also drove ideas. So, as she mentioned in the article, it was her idea to do the Attica tasting menu, which was um, you know a, an expensive and elaborate. Uh, version of the fine dining experience yep. that was that was that had occurred in the Attica dining room and she you know it was she pushed that and even against some um, uncertainty in, among the kitchen team as to whether that would fly but it became <laughs> one of Attica's most successful menu offerings because um, there was so a yeah, need wasn't there as you as you said in the article it's like still people still had 50th birthday you know um, birthdays come up and 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 there's anniversaries and there's still things that need to be celebrated and what better way than by having something special from Attica during these unholy, awful times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some other amazing women who did so many brilliant things through 2020 and still continue to yeah, innovate and um, be entrepreneurial and inspiring are a, a, a Filipino-Australian female collective, um, the Entrepreneurs. And so I chatted to um, Fides Santos Aguelas and Grace Ginto uh, about some of the activities that they undertook. Um, so the one that's mentioned in the article is these virtual masterclasses that they ran for Chibog Restaurant, which is also owned by a woman, um, Janine Barikan, and they ran some virtual masterclasses that 
not only um, put some income into the restaurant and to, and to their yeah. chefs, many of whom were international students, but also drew um, attention from the architects who were actually the community that undertook these classes and, um, yeah, sort of uh, drew their attention to Filipino cuisine, which is really underrepresented in Australia. Mm. Uh, and also, the, you know, that particular restaurant, some of these people have been back to the restaurant since it's reopened. So just a really beautiful kind of... Um, circularity in the work that um, these women do. Just, they're just really, really cool. And, um, and also, yeah. also in being just a great anchor, um, I, I refer to Jade Ryan, who has helped uh, Joseph Ghetto and Mr. Bianco remain as a going concern during this time. She was yeah. awesome, was she not? Jade is an absolute legend. So she's the manager. Sorry, I was <laughs> she's the manager of Massey, which is Joseph Hajetto's city restaurant, which um, you know is, is still closed. But she moved across to Mr Bianco in Q. And you know anyone who's sort of followed Joe's social media through twenty twenty, or you know he spoke to you on the show. He was one of those people that every time you looked around, he seemed to have started another um, you know business within his business. So whether it was it was cannoli. It was Sicilian it was festival. Auto, it was driving around in a yeah. He was driving around in a mini. Just yeah. you know, it was it was all happening. But I think you know, behind that whirlwind, you need someone who's you know making things happen, keeping yeah. an eye on the staff, and in fact, looking after um, Joe himself and just checking in with him as he just threw himself every which way. So Jade is um, just just a, I don't know. She's just a very organised person. She's very passionate. She's very caring. She's incredibly capable. And you know, Joe. When I, when I said to Joe, I need to talk to Jade. Can you put me in touch with her? He was very. He was very emotional. Because, he wept. You know, he wept, he wept. Um, because uh, I think you know these. You know, someone like Joe. Um, anyone who's in the business knows that these people are crucial and, you know, without mm. whom, you know, they, it, they just, well, as Joe said, you know, without Jade, we wouldn't have a business to talk about. So there's um, these are really, restaurants are, are families and, you know, no, nobody really runs a restaurant by themselves. You just need, need people coming at it from all angles, especially during such challenging times. And you acknowledge those people so beautifully. It's uh, in the Age Good Food uh, section um, so please look it up. It's called The Women Who Saved Melbourne Restaurants During Their Toughest Year. This has been something where we have celebrated, we've held up on a pedestal the great and the strong and the inspiring. Unfortunately, there are some stories around that aren't so inspiring, but the repeat of uh, behaviour that we've seen and noted and despaired at and uh, But we have had to, well, we, what am I saying, we, you, have uh, had to report on them, and I think maybe we need to highlight one of those. I speak of yeah. wages. And, <laughs> and Well, I mean, there's, there's a big conversation around um, restaurants and wages and underpayments, and I think, you know, in some of these scenarios... There is grey, but I think in in this one I haven't really found the grey. I found it pretty black and white. And so the restaurant is um, is Red Spice Road, really really popular yeah. um, Pan Asian Melbourne restaurant. It's been around for over a decade. 
um, December 2019, they moved to new premises in Queen Street and it was a, it was a very lavish fit-out. The restaurant seated um, 300 people. You know, they turned tables. Some days they were feeding 700. It was an incredible operation. Whoa! Just... <clears throat> yeah, sorry, did massive. you say 700? Yeah, because they turn tables. Um, they do, you know, big, big lunches and yeah. then they turn tables at dinner. So they, it was a machine. Wow. And, yeah, OK. Um, Started in McKillop Street, like, didn't it? Started in McKillop Street um, and then moved to Queen Street. Mm. And, yeah, I reviewed it in 2019. And what impressed me the most about the restaurant was the staff and just how super skilled up they were. It was definitely a team where, you know, they'd always try to say yes to whatever your request was. They were amazing at dealing with dietaries. Mm. Um, you know, like no one, no vegan, FODMAP, whatever person would ever feel like they were lesser in that restaurant. They were always looked after brilliantly. Um, anyway, pandemic, uh, mm. obviously business tanked. They were doing delivery, um, but the restaurant closed in May. Um, at, you know, that just seemed like a sad pandemic tale. Um, I was in touch with a lot of staff um, through, you know, through the long months uh, uh, about various aspects of, you know, what happened to them after the restaurant closed. Um, yep. Many staff, well, all the staff were owed entitlements. The ones that were on temporary visas were not able to reclaim some of those entitlements from the federal government's entitlements guarantee, which does give Australians... Um, there is a fund that Australians can draw upon to get uh, redundancy pay, um, some unpaid wages, holiday pay, all that kind of good stuff. Yes. But um, visa holders were not able to access that. So anyway, of, of which it must be said there was a significant amount of visa holders within that organisation. Would that be a correct statement? Yeah. So okay. approximately half of the staff were on visas, whether that's international students or sponsored workers. Yep. yep. Um, so, you know, that's just a kind of a sad story. Business goes bust you know, super big bummer. But then what happened in January is that the restaurant announced that they were reopening um, with the founding head chef, um, but without contacting... With the founding head chef, who had no longer been... hadn't been part of the business for a few years, um, but they didn't contact any of the people that had been employed mm. by the restaurant yeah. um, when it closed, uh, and not, and including the ones that were still owed money. So but They the were people, passed by, you could say. Yeah. One could... Internet. Yep. Um, now, I don't suggest that there's been anything illegal here. The company that paid the staff had been put into liquidation. Mm-hmm. Um, what What really struck me was that there was a moral imperative to look after the people who had um, made that business what it was, and I just found it really unfair. And that they had, one could you know, sort of say that they had appeared to be just discarded. They just. I think, you know, there's this idea that business is business and, you know, mm-hmm. shit happens, but business is people and these were some people had who'd put their heart and soul into this restaurant and they were just, they were owed money. Um, if there was money to reopen a restaurant, I feel like, you know, the money should first go to the people who were still owed it. Or at least that there should be some kind of undertaking that those people could be part of the rebuild or part of the plan to repay them as business um, geared back up. Um, so, yeah, I wrote a couple of news stories about that. I interviewed five, uh, no, I interviewed four of the people who had worked at Red Spice Road on my podcast. Um, in between the first, my first and second stories coming out, the um, owners of Red Spice Road released an open letter um, uh, basically saying there'd been a terrible misunderstanding. You know, the plan was always to get everyone back so that they could pay them. 
Um, and yeah, it's just a real shame that a, a journalist, an unnamed journalist, had um, gone off um, half cocked without speaking to them, and uh, you know, put a, put around a whole bunch of falsehoods. Um, this story is definitely not about me, but I do want to point out that even though they said I hadn't spoken to them, I had spoken to one of the owners three times. Um, so I'll I'll just let that sit there. You're a little bit disappointed that that might happen. So at the moment, where does the story stand, just to um, tie it into some sort of a bow? Well, not really a nice bow. Is there any yeah. conclusion to this? Uh, no. No. No one's, been, no one's received any money yet. Um, I had a dream Ooh. that everyone got checks in the mail. Yes. So that's what I'm hoping happens. Okay. Oh, gee whiz. Okay, well, that's the way that it goes. Um, Danny, that's uh, an interesting thing. Uh, I think I wanted to speak to you about uh, what was going to happen at the end of the month, but I might get you back in a couple of weeks uh, regarding the withdrawal of JobKeeper and support for Visa card holders and what the ramifications of that uh, you see. Maybe we might speak sure. about that in a couple of weeks' time. It might be good. Definitely a big, um, yeah, a big moment for the hospitality industry. Definitely. Yeah, got it, uh, Danny. Always a delight to have a chat with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Cam. Great to talk to you. See thank, you. Thank you, Danny. Bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. 3 Triple R FM, the Mighty R's. And we go to a town that doesn't have the Mighty R's, but it's got a harbour and it's got great beaches and beautiful people. And Matt McConnell is there. Oh, my God, you guys are so lucky. Hey. Hey, Cam. Yeah, very lucky. Feeling very privileged, actually. But yeah, we can actually listen to Three Chip Love yeah, up here, actually. because of the zeros and the ones. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, baby. Well, have you yeah. been listening? Have you been playing along? I've been listening along. I have. Oh, good man. Oh, that's good. Well, that, that means we have good continuity. Hey, um, yeah. first of all, good on you, because... Um, one of the things we've had in conversations we've been able to uh, to chat and you have said to me, um, well, I don't know how confidential it is, but I'm just going to blow it, is the fact Put it that... Put out there. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Is the fact that, okay, we've survived. We're still here, you bastards. You didn't say that to me, but it's a great line from Papillon. But one of the great joys of being able to survive your own business is that you have worked so much harder. Correct, Cam. It's been it has been a slog, and and just picking up on what um, Danny was saying before about women in, in in business and being behind the scenes, I, I could not have done this alone. So, big um, congratulations and celebration to Joe. Joe, um, my wife is hiding around here somewhere. Is she back? Um, yeah, she is back. She was out shopping um, before. But but it really was such a, a team effort to pull it together, um, mm. and just to have that extra brain space because the brain was pretty overloaded from beginning to end of lockdown. Um, and just and being just in juggling. survival mode for so yeah. long. It's sort of like I've had, yeah. what is it, eight or nine, <laughs> ten months of adrenaline overload surging yeah. sort of thing. And, it, and it's still going, Cam. I yeah. mean, the, the survival mode, once it's kicked in, it doesn't. it's not going to really switch off until we know that um, we can get some sort of resemblance of normality, and that's just not 
bums on seat, that's people going to theatres, people travelling interstate, travelling overseas, going back to hotels, um, just that whole gamut, and, and also sporting events, all, all that um, that contributes so much to bums on seats in the CBD especially. So, um, we, you know, we've still, still, still got that um, survival instinct really in the back of our heads the whole time, but we've done it with a great but very small team of really, really... Um, incredible workers as well so um we've really really uh pretty much just rediscovered you know just the importance of that crew and that core team of everyone being able to pull their weight Mm -hmm. think on their feet and Mm -hmm. really um get the job done so and all work together which is the the important thing um one of the things i don't know if you noticed it as you drove down the tullamarine to go to Melbourne Airport, which is a place that not many of us have been to lately. Um, so and there weren't many people there either. On your fil- yeah, that must be weird. But have yeah. you noticed um, that the seasons of changing, the seasons have changing, there's some good uh, radio stuff. The leaves are getting Absolutely. brown. The light has changed. It's autumn. Definitely. It feels like it, doesn't it? It was definitely a bit cooler last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm also noticing it with um, some of the um, emails and text messages that I get from farmers with things that are finishing mm. um, and things that are starting. And probably this time of year, you probably see more of the, the big guns finishing than a flourish, a massive flourish of, of, of new produce going into cooler that we'll gradually see probably over the next three weeks. So, Tell me about um, some of these big guns you speak of. The big guns, well, tomatoes, obviously. Big guns. Um, it, it was a much big cooler red. year, so um, a lot of the local stuff grown in the ground organically under the sky, a lot of those will be finishing up shortly. You'll still be able to get stuff grown um, hydro or mm. under a... Um, under a Tent, um, yeah, or in so Doncaster near a yep. near a near yep. a warm hill. I think is yeah. the is the way that one works. So topography yeah. is our friend for that one. Uh, yeah. And then, then also, also stone fruit, stone fruit, zucchinis, cucumbers, mm. um, eggplants are, are <gasps> in a bit of a flourish at the moment now. So I'd probably expect them to be around a, a little bit longer. Mm. Um, but they just have that really big final bursts around this time. Um, and then we start to see the creeping in of some some amazing pumpkins that just sort of turned up. Um, I've seen some persimmons as well, which is always a, a clear-cut sign that um, things are starting to change. They're quite firm at, at the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but you will gradually see them get, get a lot more oranger, uh, deeper in colour and, um, and juicier as the weeks go past. Three things bring on uh, autumn and moving into winter for me. One is, the first one is persimmon. Uh, the second one has got to be casted apple. Yep, that's, yep. That's another good one. And then also we'll see the first um, disappointing imperial mandarins. Because <laughs> yes. they're always yes. disappointing at the beginning. It's like, forget about it. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm, the thing that I, I get excited about the most will be um, the blood oranges as well. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we miss we miss those and we love them. Yes, um, just that beautiful bittersweet, tangy, high acid. Some of them have high acid and high sugar. Yes, um, and you can use the whole fruit. The skin is fantastic. Um, we like to infuse a lot of things with the skin of blood orange as well. Um, so we look Such forward as. to them coming back into the kitchen. Oh, we, we do a great little uh, flavoured cream with it 
which mm. is pretty delicious. So the, the oil doesn't curdle it? No. 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 Um, so it's, it's more of a, a light steep, <clears throat> so really low, low temperature, yeah. and extremely finely grated uh-huh. um, without pit. Ah, got it, because I remember for, for years I tried this experiment to make, I don't know, something with oranges and milk, and I didn't understand the denaturing of acids, but, you know, we we do start to, uh, to learn. Hey, uh, can we just <laughs> rewind a little bit? Can we just go back to the eggplant thing? Mm. What, what, do you, what do you do with eggplants? What's your favourite thing to do with an eggplant? I'm, I'm really, um, <clears throat> I put them on the grill and then cover them in a sauce kind of guy. Um, roasting is another option as well. Yes. Um, but just, um, especially if you've got those beautiful, long, skinny Lebanese type, mm-hmm. or even the beautiful um, apple-shaped ones, which come in a very varying colours as well. Yep. Um, slice, slicing, a little bit of salt, mm-hmm. <clears throat> quick, quick wash, oil on the grill, and then just go crazy. You can go um, at a Mediterranean route. You can go through the Middle East with it, or you can even finish it off with um, some really, really great Asian flavours as well. <clears throat> Takes oyster sauce well. Oh, absolutely. Does, does indeed. And oh. I've spoken to a few Italians and they have said to me, my last meal, pasta norma. Oh, yeah. Which is just tomatoes, eggplant, usually penne, like an extruded pasta, I think. Yeah, usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's And it. some fresh mozzarella, I think. Hey! Well, that's, yeah. That sounds good. Um, we've got a couple minutes left here, Maddie. Maybe yes. what you might I might get you to do is um, just give me your pick of the market as you see it, and also from your emails and your suppliers. There might be a few things that we haven't heard of. A couple of couple of things that um, popped in on the list last week with some Warrigal greens, which are a great little um, versatile, really super savoury green. Yep. Um, Aussie spinach so, sort of thing. Yep, Aussie spinach, absolutely. Yep. Um, I'm getting a bit of rhubarb at the moment as well, which um, I think mm. it gets forgotten sometimes. Um, really amazing stuff I got from Joe and Matt from Mushrooms Anonymous. Um, oh, Joe and they, Matt. They, they, Can you say hi yeah, to them they, for me? They, yeah. Of course I will. They're growing up in um, Woodend. Mm. Um, very small list of things on that they send through, but you always know that it's going to be great quality. Yes. Um, another thing that I got in last week, and I'll, be, I'll probably be moving towards a, a permanent dish on the menu, will be some um, brand-new uh, Dutch cream potatoes. Ooh. So, once again, heading underneath the ground, ground starting to get a bit cooler, yes. um, and all these things are starting to really hit their peak. So, um, that's always exciting as well. Oh Lord! Well, this—I think we go into. It's the time of abundance. It is the time when the harvest all comes in, so we get to see all sorts of amazing things. It's yes. hey, it's where and make, a, a, make the most of it, and a braise makes sense too. Mm. Not that we've had really a hot summer that was sort of coming out of that. Well, yeah. I might wish you and Joe a very, very happy time uh, while you are away. Take it Thanks, easy. Ken. You're off to see, uh, what is it, Joe's dad? Joe's, Joe's uncle. Uncle. Uncle for From a bit Greek of a feast. A little bit of a Greek afternoon. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, should be fun. Don't drink too much ouzo. Oh, it's, it's, there's no chance of that happening, is there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Matt, a uh, big hug to you all. Great to hear your voice. Thanks for having a chat with us. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Cam. Great to chat. Clockwise.
Matt McConnell yeah. from Balurinia. You can find them in Little Collins Street and uh, voted the best place to go for Valentine's Day. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. And here's that horn section. If you're going to do a special horn section stab for Matt from Melbourne Rooftop, honey. Yeah. How you guys going? Oh, going awesome. Where are you? You're on the farm? We are. We're we're up on our property, uh, just uh, north of the metro, just uh, outflowed our way. Oh, I like that. Um, it's, it's delightfully vague. North of the metro. Yep, yep. So we've we've got one foot in the metro now, one foot in the in the rural, um, and it's uh, interesting. It gives us a, a more of an idea about rural beekeeping and uh, <laughs> allows us to understand what's going on in the, in the two different regions. Well, that's uh, a contrast. Let's just um, backtrack for those that haven't heard your mellifluous tones on the air before. You represent Melbourne Rooftop Honey, uh, a business that's been going now for how many years? Hey, uh, hey? during the lockdown, we celebrated our decade for our project so we're just oh, into man. our 10th yeah, year happy oh we never got to even do that you could have had a party and drank me well, we weren't or allowed something. we we could have but we uh, weren't allowed yeah well we yeah. don't want to do that compliance is is key i'm all about compliance if you know me cam i do i do it's one of the things <laughs> i admire about you and i I, I praise jesus that i know that there's someone out there complying and it's matt from melbourne rooftop honey <laughs> god bless you matt um but um, one of the things of being on the uh, the vanguard of nature, so to speak, is the fact that you observe and you look and you see and you compare and contrast with years and there's a bit of a yeah. report to be sort of given, isn't there? Yeah, so really this is, this is a really interesting season for, for beekeepers. Mm. Um, Vanessa and I are involved in, well, the club that we, we first learn how beekeeping at and we've been always always uh, involved with that club, but uh, at a committee level. Is that the one that you educa- dragged me along to one day to do honey tastings? Yeah, yeah, you've been a judge for our honey competition. I have yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yep, yep. We have a great so, Melbourne chef. Sorry, go on. Yep. I'm interrupting you. <laughs> we, um, we, we've got about 480-odd members at the minute um, and mainly Metro beekeepers, and so we, we train them up um, yeah. and, and send them on their way to their journey of beekeeping. Here's your hive. Go on. Multiply. And this season in particular, mm. uh, our... Um, we are getting a lot of feedback from our members whose bees are really struggling. In the past, we would see small pockets, uh, as beekeeping is very localised. Yeah. We would see small pockets in uh, the Dandenongs, for instance, that don't get a lot of sunshine, that are a bit damp one season to the next, and sometimes oh. they won't do as, as well as other other metro sites. Yes. But um, this season, really, really across the board throughout the metro, it has been shocking. And there's a few things that we think that uh, um, are to... Contributing? Yeah, yeah, to to hold accountable for it. And one of them is is the big one that everyone's talking about is La Nina. So um, we, where we are, the side of the Great Dividing Range, um, could see the absolute uh, day and night contrast of how much moisture, how much rain the metro had over summer. We we didn't get it up here on on our property, Mm. um, but down at all of our metro hives, um, they were getting bombarded with uh, all of that rain that, that Melbourne saw. And what 
what would happen is is in this in in the summer season, which is our huge season, spring and summer is when the bees are in full production mode. Mm. Uh, the the plants are, are flowering and producing all their nectar, and when we get that rain. Um, it does a couple of things. So firstly, it washes all the nectar out immediately and, and, and big, uh, heavy downfalls will actually just damage the flowers as well. So um, every time and, and every time that happened, we would lose nectar flow and it would happen kind of regularly, week after week, once every fortnight or once every week. So it just, uh, it just kind of ruined the nectar season for those metro beekeepers. And um, imagine, if I can just extrapolate from there, look, we've, we have had some... Uh, pretty big rainfall events, but that's been nothing like it has been up further north in New South Wales and places, has it? Yeah, yeah. They so, must have like, got so, decimated. Yeah, yeah. So uh, regional Victoria did quite well. Mm. Uh, we, we know a couple of really large commercial operators who have done really well out of it, uh, and that's just purely down to experience, looking at what's going on, and... Uh, commercial operators moving their hives and moving them in and out of places where they know they can get in quickly, get some nectar, get back out. So they've done quite well. Mm. Um, and it's generally, when we're teaching beekeeping, we're saying that uh, beekeeping in the metro is great, it's safe, it's easier, uh, the bees do better. We tell them all uh, of these things that have been kind of the rule for, for the last you know, decade. What could until, go wrong? Until this season where yeah. the rural beekeepers are doing better than the metro. And, so, and this is one of the first years because... Uh, let's face it, um, La Nina is sort of this um, this child that... Uh, oh no, actually, it's El Nino that's known as the child. But um, this interloper that has just come in for a year, and before you know it, we'll be back to dry profiles, drought, uh, yep. higher temperatures. So this is going to probably be an aberration, is it not? Yeah, well, definitely. And then what we do see in... So this is, for, for plant talk, this yes. is times are good. We've got lots of water, we've got lots of sunshine. These yeah. are good times. Yeah. And in good times, we like to grow. Um, so we see a lot of growth get put on. So when you're out and about and going for your drives around town or, or in the country, anywhere you want to be, looking at those big eucalypts, um, instead of seeing the flowering that's been going on, after all this rain and this, this heat, we'll see growth, lots of new growth. Um, We've, we've even seen, you know, grapevines and everything at the minute late in the season putting on a whole heap of new growth. We've got, uh, we've got apple trees in blossom, which is amazing at this time of the year. So uh, nature's very confused. But um, putting on growth uh, is, is mainly what we're going to see. Uh, and that's huge. Yeah, yeah, sunlight, moisture in the ground. And um, what we want for bees is flowers. So stressful times of flowers, that's when the, the plants are doing their best to reproduce and put all of their energy into those flowers. Because we so, do, Matt, we talk about a... Like, usually we talk about a biological imperative, but here we're talking about a botanical imperative so that when times are tough, trees do get stressed. It yeah. puts in all that energy gets put up, not into growth and, and, uh, and leaf growth or arboreal growth, I suppose, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but it is to survive. So, therefore, it is going, hey, man, things are tough. Let's more flowers, therefore more nectar and therefore more honey. Yeah, yeah, and so it's genetic survival as such because that tree mm. may not make it through those stressful times, yes. but it's going to do whatever it can do to reproduce and spread its seed. Yes. So uh, flower, produce fruit, do all those kinds of things. So a little bit of stress is okay for plants. It gets them flowering and doing all those things. Yes. So, um, you know, tree of mean, keep them king. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Renee, what would you like to ask? Sorry, I was just wondering if the increased CO2 levels in the atmosphere is 
um, contributing to the growth, um, the growth spurts, and therefore the imbalance in the amount of nectar? I don't think it would be related to the CO2 rise. Um, the growth spurt, yeah, purely because there's, there's moisture in the ground in, in the summer when, when it's got all of its sunlight to photosynthesise. Um, as a result, uh, if there is increased uh, CO2, while they're putting on extra growth, they can process that CO2 and create lovely oxygen for us. Cool. So, uh, even if there is a small effect that I can't measure, and I'm not sure how we measure, um, I would say the rebound effect would be the season after this is then all of the, the CO2 processing that you will be able to do because of that growth. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, one thing that I have noticed is a rather large uh, honey producers uh, that are sort of based in Beechworth. <laughs> There you go. Um, but I have an extraordinary jar of honey from a couple of years ago, uh, almond honey. Ah, yes, yes, almond honey. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, yeah, yep, pollination. Uh, yeah, because it, normally it's um, uh, about as rare as unicorn poo. Uh, in, yeah. in the fact that there's a whole bunch of people out, the owner of Beechworth has said I've been in this business now for a few decades and I have never seen it and that was something that came I think because of stress Yep, that's when, right. we, when so we look back now the, the uh Beekeepers, again, large commercial, more than, than recreational, and, mm. and there's a good story behind uh, the increased need for uh, beehives for pollination, is that they go up uh, every August, generally up to around Robinvale and up Mildura Way to the enormous almond plantations, yes. and they take in uh, hives, lots of hives, and when I say lots of hives, I think this year it was 180,000 hives. Oh, what? Sorry. That's yep. big. Yep. That's more than would if each one of them had a... Uh, uh, could sit down, you couldn't put them all in the MCG. Well, actually, it's a how good... Did, other than yeah, that, how did you like the game, Mr. B? How much, how, much area of, uh, how much area of land that all of those beehives would take up? That'd be good to know. Um, I could do the maths on that next time for you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. We have, yeah, so we have beekeepers going up uh, in mass, taking all their hives for a couple of weeks for the almond pollination, and it's an incredibly well choreographed uh, exercise. It has to happen every year. Yeah. Last year we saw uh, the department making a call for recreational beekeepers who had more than five hives, asking them, would you be interested in coming next year? Because the almond fields are increasing. It's, it's lucrative for our Jeez. international investors. Mm. Uh, so those fields are ever increasing, and we've got to the point now where after the fires that we had um, in uh, Gippsland and uh, Victoria uh, last uh, Christmas before, uh, so we lost a lot of hives there. We've got to the point now where we won't have enough commercial hives to do the pollination required. So they're wow. calling any beekeepers who Not may good. be interested in, in trying to get them to, to head up for pollination. And one of the things that we are aware of is it can sometimes uh, lead to um, the most beautiful disease-spreading exercise ever where you get uh, 180,000 hives from across the country all come together for a couple of weeks hanging we out. We don't like uh, that, Matt. And I'm going to have to, sorry, buddy, I'm going to have to uh, just say we're going to have to bring that to an end. Would love to speak to you soon. It's been way too long between yep. drinks of honey yeah, and mead. Big hug buy to... Buy local. That's our, our message. Buy local. Go to your markets. Buy local. Don't or try to avoid buying it from the big, big stores. Thanks, Matt. Going to have to go now. Thank you so awesome. much for joining us. Speak to you Easy. soon. Next time. All yeah. right. 
Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 